This episode of the Blockhouse Podcast is sponsored by my friend Tiger at ITZTiger.music on Instagram. He does all the audio tracks for the Blockhouse Podcast. He's on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Go check him out. The podcast is also sponsored by Day and Night, the ultimate revolution in vaping batteries, the double-bladed lightsaber of vaping. Why enjoy one flavor when you can enjoy two flavors at the same time? Go check them out on Instagram at Day and Night Battery. But wait, the podcast is also sponsored by Bengali, the new hip clothing brand that is about to take Medellin by storm. Quality clothing for men that fits right and that is stylish at the same time. I love it. I got tons of it. And you'll see me wearing it on the podcast. Get yours now. Go to bengali.shop on Instagram. Lastly, be sure to sign up for the Blockchain Insider newsletter. For only $250 a month, you will get weekly updates on the crypto market, my top investment picks, and advanced analysis to help you make better informed investment decisions. You can't put a price on that. So go click on the link in the description and sign up today. What's up, guys? It is episode 141, Friday, June 11th. And today I have Brendan Kittredge, CEO and founder of WhisperNode, a decentralized validator of the Secret Network. And Secret Network is an open source blockchain that provides data privacy. We've gone into so much detail um, on, in terms of data privacy and what you can do on Secret Network. Um, everything from DeFi to NFTs, uh, the, the Kepler wallet, SecretSwap.io and DEXs, so much stuff. So be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and secret node. Enjoy. Yo, Brendan, you're my 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 doppelganger. What's up? <laughs> How you doing? Welcome to the podcast. What's going on, Brandon? We got we got the double B's in the house. Yes, the double B's. Okay, cool, cool. So tell me a little bit about yourself first. I'm, I, I don't know a lot about um, WhisperNode. I have heard about Secret Network a little bit. Um, and I definitely have some questions on that and want to um, you know, cover that in some detail. But before we do, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background, um, you know, how you got into the space. Um, you know, what was there like a single moment that got you into the space? Why, why crypto and blockchain? Uh, did you do something before that uh, to kind of give the audience a little bit of an idea of um, you, yourself, and, you know, kind of where you came from, where you started? Sure, man. It, it's been a hell of a journey. So uh, uh, my name is Brennan Kittredge. I'm from New Hampshire originally. And uh, before this whole, you know, crypto space, I was actually a government worker. I used to buy major weapons systems for the Navy. Uh, and then after that, I ended up buying IT equipment for the Peace Corps all around the world. Um, but back in 2016, kind of 16, 17, around that, you know, bull run time, uh, started becoming interested in crypto had a buddy that was a developer that made his full-time salary in Ethereum uh, back in like 2013, 14. Uh, and he, he kind of turned me on to what, you know, Bitcoin was at the time. And then it evolved from that into what Ethereum was. 
showed me uh back then it was called dap radar i don't even know if that website still exists i've heard of that i yeah. don't think it exists anymore i don't know if it exists anymore i don't think so but like back then it was just super early and it just had like maybe 20 applications that were built on ethereum you know i don't even know how many are on there now but uh i just remember hearing about you know bitcoin being a, a digital currency having a limited supply you know all the the typical BTC mm -hmm. maxi things that make it appealing, uh, but then hearing about Ethereum and smart contracts and what you can do with you know the power of unstoppable code in a smart contract that that executes on its own based on real life you know events and things like that. So um, became fascinated back then, and uh, that's how I got interested in the space originally as just an investor. Mm -hmm. and um, joining a bunch of different crypto communities, one of them being the Enigma community, uh, which led to where I am today with Secret Network. And we'll probably talk about the transition from being Enigma into Secret Network. Yeah, so let me get it straight. You went from uh, making naval war weapons to uh, investing in magical internet money. That's pretty much correct. Yeah, yeah. I used to, I literally bought a, a, a nuclear reactor for one of the aircraft carriers, the CVN-79. Mm -hmm. And I used to buy uh, radar systems for, for ships as well. So it's, uh, it's been a That's really cool. change, man. Yeah, is, is there a connection there, you know, with uh, your passion or desire and, you know, working in that kind of space in the Navy and then also... You know, in crypto, it seems like maybe there's a little bit of a tie there with, uh, you know, uh, secret network and whisper node and maybe some <laughs> privacy features or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was it was more just the tech always fascinated me going from mm -hmm. like radar systems and kind of combining the whole engineering aspect with uh, the contract negotiation because I was a contract negotiator. Right. So, right. Um, you know, I was studying like the business end of things. Uh, and I always loved combining like a passion for engineering and technology with the kind of business aspect of it. Uh, and that's why, you know, crypto was a natural fit because it kind of combines all these different areas of uh, economics, uh, engineering, tech, you know, coding and all mm -hmm. those different areas. So. And you said it was Ethereum, you know, that originally turned you on to the space and, and smart contracts. Is that still true for you today? Or do you think, you know, Ethereum maybe is losing some viability or? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, why I became interested in Secret Network at that time, it was called Enigma. Uh, they had a really compelling white paper. If you remember back in, in 2017, it was all about the white papers and the ICOs. Yeah. Uh, so I remember thinking about Ethereum and thinking about these smart contracts and what kind of use cases they could have in the real world. Um, but they don't address privacy, right? So I was thinking about real world applications for, for crypto and for smart contracts, whether it be, you know, banking, healthcare, um, and any really vertical in the enterprise system, but mm -hmm. realizing that none of these enterprises are ever going to adopt blockchain without 
data privacy. I mean, they can't, right? They can't mm-hmm. even do it because of things like GDPR. They have to maintain um, privacy of their user data, at least at a minimum. Um, not to mention, they're probably not going to want their entire business to be public. <laughs> true, true. Is that, so how, how does Secret Network, you know, address privacy? How does it, you know, separate itself from the other blockchain projects out there that are, you know, trying to do something similar? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have, when you talk privacy, especially in blockchain, I think what comes to mind for everyone is, is like Monero or Zcash or mm-hmm. some of these other um, transactional privacy coins. And transactional privacy is, is all well and good and, and definitely something that's needed. But like I said, I, I'm more interested in like the privacy of the underlying data that's in a smart contract. Um, so what Monero is to Bitcoin, Secret Network seeks to be for Ethereum. Um, okay. And that's kind of the, the analogy, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Are there any existing use cases on Secret Network? Like, have people any really built anything um, of significance yet, or are there any you know, partnerships that have been pretty public? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff being built right now. I think the the best example of um, kind of an initial use case was so on Ethereum, you have this problem called miner extracted value, right? Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you've heard of minor extracted value Um, a little bit, but essentially these, these decentralized exchanges, these AMMs like Uniswap, uh, SushiSwap, you name it, you know, all these AMMs that are, that are, uh, when people are trading on these things, especially in large uh, volumes or like large trades, what's happening is people are programming bots to watch the order book mm-hmm. and then they they front run these trades um so if you know if brandon was gonna submit an order to buy fifty thousand ether uh, or probably not ether but say it's some shit coin that has low liquidity or something sure um you know your order of fifty thousand is very likely to drive up that price uh, so they'll program a bot to put in an order before your order with a higher gas. Um, their order will go through before yours executes, and then they sell right after you, and they just earn automatic profit by having a bot out there watching the order book. So um, this was a huge, huge problem for DEXs in the past few years, especially you know with DeFi summer uh like last summer when everyone was going crazy mm-hmm. about DeFi, you know, we were seeing billions of dollars in TVL, but no one was realizing how much money was being lost just due to the these bots, um, you know, extracting that value. So uh, one of the first things we built on Secret Network was a DEX. It was kind of like a kind of like a Uniswap clone, but with privacy. Mm-hmm. So the, the order book is private. Like when Brandon puts in an order for $50,000 of a shitcoin, coin, uh, 
no one on the network can see that order because the, the data of the smart contract, your order is hidden. So there's nothing there for these, these bots, for these miners to, to see. So they, mm-hmm. can't, they can't front run your order, basically. Okay, how long has that been around? Is it been as, around as long as Uniswap has or is this relatively new? It's pretty new. Um, we okay. launched, it's called Secret Swap. Uh, secret, secret swap, yeah. Dot io, uh, and we launched in February, I believe. So, what do you need to use Secret Swap? Uh, do you have to have like um, a wallet, like MetaMask, for example, that links to it, or um, like what, what's the best way for someone that wants to use it to you know avoid these common issues with like Uniswap, Pancake, Sushi, all the food food brand name swaps? <laughs> um, you know, um, how, how do they do it? Yeah, so there is, um, if you're familiar with like the Cosmos ecosystem, uh, Mm -hmm. there's a wallet in the Cosmos ecosystem called the Kepler wallet. And it's an awesome, awesome team. Uh, His name, the main developer there is his name, Josh Lee. And Kepler wallet is like a MetaMask for the Cosmos ecosystem. So it, it looks and operates pretty similarly similarly uh, to MetaMask wallet. And uh, so you would need that wallet to interact with the secret swap. Um, there, there's also some cool things you can do uh, with secret swap. It's not just a AMM that's internal to our ecosystem we're building mm-hmm. bridge we're building bridges into other ecosystems so you can actually bring over your other assets so um, we have an ethereum bridge that's live right now for example and we have a bsc bridge that is launching oh what's today the 11th there's a bsc bridge that's an, uh, launching in four days actually so you're going to be able to take your erc 20 or your BSC assets that have no privacy features, bridge them into Secret Network, exchange them privately for any other token in our ecosystem, send them mm-hmm. to another wallet, uh, you know, use Secret Swap, um, provide liquidity in Secret Swap and earn yield, do all of these things with complete privacy. And then if you want to, you know, you could you could bridge back out of the ecosystem to another wallet or, you know, split amongst multiple wallets. And you'd pretty much be breaking the, the public imprint of your transactions. So you could almost use it like a coin mixer, right? Got it. Got it. So when you say bridge in and bridge out, what do you, what do you mean more specifically? Sure. Um, So, the best example is just if you had, you know, 10 Ethereum and you mm-hmm. wanted to bridge that 10 Ethereum in to our network to use secret swap mm-hmm. uh, or to provide liquidity and earn yield on that Ethereum. Uh, you would go to the bridge page and, and I can provide, you know, links to all this yeah, stuff of in the show notes and whatnot. Um, but you would take that 10 Ethereum, go to the bridge page. It would be in your MetaMask wallet. You'd connect your MetaMask wallet. You'd connect your Kepler wallet, which I just mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. and then go to the conversion page. And what it'll do 
is you'll send your 10 Ethereum to a smart contract, which locks up 10 Ethereum, and then it'll mint 10 secret Ethereum on the Ethereum network. Okay, got it. Um, no, another question on the secret network. Do you guys have um, fairly high liquidity for you know most mainstream tokens? I think that's what people worry about the most when they use any kind of DEX. Yeah. Um, you know, is that low li liquidity issue and you know potentially moving the market and the order filling as it's um, as the price goes up or the price going up as it's filling and vice versa, price going down as it's trying to fill an order and sell. Um, you know, it's it's still a huge issue and there's slippage issues and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, is that ever really an issue or you guys have just about as good liquidity? Yeah, no, I mean, in, in full transparency and you bring up a really good point, we have pretty good liquidity for major assets like wrap Bitcoin, uh, mm -hmm. Ethereum, Tether, um, our own token secret, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the other assets, like a lot of the ERC-20s that are on the bridge, uh, I think we have pretty good liquidity for like Link uh, and some of the other major ERC-20s. But as you go down the list progressively, you definitely, if you're moving significant amounts of money, would have liquidity issues like you mentioned. Uh, and that's, you know, to be expected with mm -hmm. any new DEX. Uh, even, you know, even Uniswap, not too long ago didn't have you know the liquidity they have today but uh right you know over time it's it's hopeful that as people want more privacy for their assets uh mm -hmm. and as we incentivize you know these bridging mechanisms through offering apy and a you know staking ability that we can attract more liquidity to the platform so it's kind of like step one is roll out the platform attract liquidity for the major assets and then you mm -hmm. roll out and and try to attract liquidity for these other assets where are you guys based or where are you based i'm in puerto rico actually um so well, that's a good place to be the, <laughs> yeah yeah well i guess there was like some attack on the the power plant yesterday or something so that what was attack yeah. on the power plant in puerto rico things are yeah, going to hell in puerto rico there was like a there was like a DDoS attack and a fire that broke out on one of the major power plants, I guess, over by San Juan. But what are they trying? Are they trying to stop everyone from liquidating their crypto down there or something? That's, that's what it is, man. That's the, my conspiracy. Yeah, the locals were pissed off that all these crypto people were coming down here, and they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the capital gains rate's so low, and Biden wants to raise it. So, uh, yeah, yeah it's uh, cats out of the bag on that one. Yeah, um, yeah. There's been a huge influx this year. It's it's been crazy, man. I you hear I just got back from Miami and it was funny, like the silent flex of the weekend was, Oh yeah, I just I just moved down to Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone on on their Instagram or Twitter, like in their stories, and they're they're all like, Oh, I'm in Puerto Rico, chilling, living life in Puerto Rico. I'm like at some point the laws are gonna change. Like if everyone flocks there, like they're just gonna completely change the rules. So I give, I give it, yeah, I give it like two years, but you know, until then I'm going to enjoy the surfing and stuff down here. Uh, yeah. I heard it's beautiful though. Good weather and everything. It is. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, but I'm the only one from the team here. Uh, the main, mm -hmm. the main development team, like 
that created the protocol, uh, they're in Israel. Uh, okay. And then some of the operations side, like at the secret foundation, we call it, which mm -hmm. is like the Ethereum foundation. Uh, they're in Chicago. There's a lot of Chicago guys. And then people really, it's like truly a decentralized project, like all around the world, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's ran by uh, node operators like yourself, though, right? Like through Whisper yep. Node and stuff like that to help maintain the network. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I have a question that leads into that. Um, are, you know, given the climate and how, you know, certain places are trying to clamp down on the, um, you know, the free flow of, of crypto and the, the fear of criminal activity, the AML, the KYC kind of bullshit. Um, do, do, do you have any kind of concern that maybe they'd want to crack down on something like Secret Network by going after, you know, like people that are lead operators like WhisperNode or something like that, just simply because maybe there's not enough compliance up to their standards, you know, like is, yeah. is that a fear or a worry or, you know, is, do you think Secret Network, you know, will just kind of carry on? Not particularly, mainly because like, our our real use case is not that transactional privacy thing if we mm -hmm. were more like a monero where that was our sole purpose is to like hide your trail of money um mm -hmm. I, I would be more worried about it but um really the way i view secret network is it's providing developers the ability to develop applications with programmable privacy at the heart mm -hmm. so you know, like privacy is not always a bad thing, right? Like data privacy is not a bad thing. There's laws like GDPR mm -hmm. that are more there to protect the consumer and protect their data. Um, and, and companies, tech companies are literally required by law to implement technical, um, technical implementations for their users. Uh, you know, GDPR is one thing I view as being an extreme positive. Uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of use cases. I'm just like, my brain's like going crazy right. about use cases now. Um, if you were to build a decentralized Uber, for example, um, you wouldn't want the entire world to see your wallet history and your transactions that like clearly illustrate where your home address is. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so it's more of a, a building block, a protocol level for developing Web3 applications than it is to like hide your nefarious past. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, on the topic of, you know, DEXs a little bit and DeFi, I'm curious what your thoughts are, because it, it seems like a fairly strong use case right now for, you know, secret network as well. Um, but, you know, the space has gotten so big and saturated, it's become one of the biggest niches and, you know, blockchain and fintech. And that's what no one will shut up about it. That, that's oh, yeah. that's that's the question they ask me all the time. What about DeFi? What about this one or that one? Um, you know, I'm curious, do you have like an opinion on the space and where you think maybe it's going? Do you think it's really going to disrupt all the big exchanges and change the game? Do you think it it's still pretty young and has a long ways to go? Um, I'm just kind of curious your your view on it right now yeah i mean i could we could probably have like 
a two hour long chat just yeah. on that, that question. But I think it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. I think it is a very immature space. Um, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, even when we talk about the biggest protocols in DeFi, the Uniswaps, the, the YFIs, the, the synthetics, like all these platforms that are popular today. I mean, you look back like a year and a half ago and some of them weren't there or they're, you know, they were still developing their protocols. So I view it now as like this grand experimentation Mm-hmm. And we, we've always had an idea of where DeFi will go, right? Like the whole idea is to create this whole financial ecosystem free of the banks. And I think we'll get there, but we're still years away. You know, we're still, we're still building the building blocks and, and just, I view it as like a big sandbox where people are just trying a bunch of things and seeing what works and hopefully not getting rugged, you know? Right. <laughs> like, that's a clear sign of the immaturity of the space, right? Like people, anonymous teams creating these profiles and then just rugging everyone that's using it. I don't think that would happen in a, in a mature space. You, you have a point there. It's definitely a very immature space. The, the one thing that's really interesting about, you know, this industry though, is it's, it's moving really fast. Like, you know, you look at the early internet and you look at, you know, all the infrastructure that had to be built for that to be, you know, really usable. The infrastructure that, you know, needs to exist for crypto, you know, to become what it we hope it all will become kind of already exists other than, you know, a couple of companies and some regulations and a few hurdles in the way. Um, And, you know, you got China just about to airdrop their their CBDC to their citizens and they're already ahead of the U.S. and a number of yeah. different ways. They don't even have cash anymore. Um, and now they're about to get rid of their credit cards and debit cards and go full crypto. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, um, I don't know, maybe you see it too, but it's a, a really interesting industry where obviously there's an infrastructure um, you know, issue. There's some, some stuff holding it back still. There's a lot of growth, speculation. You know, Sandbox is a good term. A lot of trying new things out but it's also moving rapidly. It's like oh, yeah. how far we got in just one year. If you, if you look back to last year, like right before the pandemic to where we are now, it's insane. And yeah. it, it, almost, it almost scares me, you know, where we could be with crypto a year from today in the same situation, um, you know, if things keep going in the same direction. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you. Uh, it's moving super fast and I think, um, a lot of those other like necessary pieces for DeFi, we're going to start seeing come alive in the next couple of years, like more lending, more credit scoring. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think there's too much like decentralized credit scoring and things like that going on now, but I think those protocols are going to exist in the near future. Um, you know, where you plug in your MetaMask wallet and you're pre-approved for a loan because of your, you know, transaction history in MetaMask. And it, and it mm-hmm. links, you know, seamlessly to your identity in a decentralized fashion for like KYC, AML law compliance. Um, I, I think that stuff's all going to exist soon. Absolutely. Yeah, I, this, I totally uh, agree. If, if this market keeps uh, trending in the bear uh, direction, <laughs> you know, 
I hate to say it, but it might give people more of that space needed to create some of these things where, cause in a bull market, like sometimes it's hard to build in a bull market cause you're so concerned with attracting attention. Right. Whereas if it's a bear, you just put your head down and build. Well, that's the question, right? Are we in a bear market? Are we still in a bull market? Are we freaking out? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin is still, you know, between 30,000, 40,000 hasn't gone much lower, you know, Bitcoin, you know, I kind of rely on that to lead my thought on what the market's doing. Um, the market generally seems to follow Bitcoin. Um, hasn't really gone any higher, hasn't really gone any lower. The news is kind of affecting it a little bit less and less. Um, you know, it's like, I tell people this all the time. It feels like it's in a weird place, right? Where yeah. like, it, it's either going to break through 30,000, it's going to collapse and we're going to be done for the year. And we're going to go through this whole, you know, four-year cycle bullshit all over again. You know, that's a real possibility you know, just from a speculating standpoint, or it, it goes the other direction and it goes up. I mean, there's so much, um, you know, money moving into this state, into the space that's permanent, so much infrastructure that's on board, people that are buying this stuff for like 10, 20 years down the line that aren't, you know, just speculating and, and day trading and, you know, stuff like that. Um, it, it's very different than it was a year ago even oh, yeah. more different than it was in 2017 and 2018. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're in a bear market. I don't know if we're still in a bull market either, but I, I think it's still at a really weird place where I can't, I can't say for sure yet. Yeah, man, we're, we're totally in limbo. And I don't know if this, like, I'm sure you've heard of like this upcoming uh, death cross too. And I don't yeah. know, I don't even know that the death cross, if it happens is going to provide any, <laughs> I don't think that's going to provide clarity either. It's we're in this super weird limbo stage right now where it's like you have the fear of the death cross over here. And mm -hmm. um, I was looking today at like this, this big charter in a group I'm in um, who was doing these charts with like the diversion of the correlation of assets. So if you're talking mm -hmm. like altcoin correlation to the Bitcoin price, right? Right. Gener generally, you'll see like major assets like DOT, Ethereum, the top projects, they correlate very closely with the price of Bitcoin um, mm -hmm. just by nature of having like a Bitcoin pair and, you know, how the whole market depends on Bitcoin. But we've started to see like a diversion from that in terms of like USDT price. And that's usually a sign that large whales and traders are like moving away from from those alt assets like Ethereum dot and everything. And they're fleeing mm -hmm. to safety of Bitcoin. Right. So it's like, there's a scary indication. There's the death cross coming. There's like, you know, we, the fact that we just crashed pretty heavily, there's all that fear. But then you look at some of the on-chain metrics of Bitcoin and you see that, you know, the largest, longest holders of Bitcoin are like, tripling down on their positions you know you see that they're buying right now so mm -hmm. it's hard to say what direction we're going to go exactly it, it's 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 really difficult i think at this point i mean are you the kind of person that enjoys technical analysis do you like running studies and charts and stuff like that or do you have friends that you like to follow that do it i pretty much just rely on others yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what about you I don't, I don't know if I believe in the whole death cross theory. Um, I, I think markets are much more complicated in crypto than that. 
Yeah. I mean, you could probably make an argument for that with, with the stock market, but even that, you know, is proven to be incredibly manipulated. Um, you know, crypto is a 24 seven market that doesn't sleep. Anything could happen at any point in any given region of the world that could affect crypto. You could have people selling off in China, even though we're praising it over here in Miami, which, you know, which is the case. So it, it's like you, you can't really do a perfect analysis on it. Um, all, all you can really do is look at, you know, long term where the price action is going. And, you know, for me personally, what I've always looked at is the inverse correlation with all the other altcoins pretty much everything else under the Ethereum and down uh, versus Bitcoin's market dominance. Yeah. You know, when Bitcoin has a really high market dominance, that's when people are leaving the space and, you know, holding Bitcoin because it's their, their first off ramp besides going to dollars or pesos or euros or whatever it may be um, if they want to stay in the space. Um, and it's the most comfortable place to be. And that's what's, you know, helped Bitcoin prove to be the best performing asset of the last decade. It's for that reason alone. Once, once you see Bitcoin's dominance start to slip, it's for one of two reasons. Either people are getting out of Bitcoin and going to cash, which is very unlikely people would do now, given, you know, the high inflation growth rate for, for fiat right now yeah. and <laughs> all the cash injections into the system and the stimulus. Um, option two is it's pouring into altcoins and people are speculating and investing or gambling. One of the three. Um, so I, I think it's the... The, um, the latter rather than the former. And I think it's happening very slowly. It's just, I don't think we feel it right now because um, the, the market's incredibly volatile and you, you see a, a $20,000 drop off on Bitcoin in, you know, a, a month or two month period. And everyone's panicking saying we're in a bear market, but you step back at 10,000 feet, look at the real picture at where Bitcoin's Bitcoin's up like $60,000 in the last year. So, you know, it's kind of still a drop in the bucket and you look yeah. at past corrections and um, you know, if Bitcoin really was to correct as hardly as it did, it would correct 80%. It hasn't corrected 80% or 90%. So it's either we're, it's going to get worse <laughs> um, and it's going to happen very soon or it doesn't. And we, you know, things are going to be fine. So I, that's yeah. a really long answer and explanation, but <laughs> No, I, I think people hey, man, just you made, you made me feel good. You filled me with that. <laughs> you filled me with that hopium. So you know, let it. Let I it think fly, it's important let to it have. In July. <laughs> you got to step back and look at it. I mean, if you look at the charts and you step back, you know things actually look pretty damn good, and they actually look like pretty good buying opportunities. You know, that's probably why some really smart people are buying right now, and making really positive comments and are still building in the space. You know, if they could do it in the crypto winter and be that positive and optimistic, I, I bet they're doing it right now. So I'm still bullish until things really, you know, make a change for the worse. But yeah. long term, I think it's clear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got El Salvador, you know, nationalizing Bitcoin as a national currency. Mm -hmm. You got others that may be following in their shoes like Panama and, you know. Some of these Latin American countries starting to look at it, you know, maybe we'll see it in Colombia. Who knows? I hope um, so. That, that's got to be bullish, man. It's got to be bullish. Yeah, I saw a funny meme today. Uh, <laughs> one, 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 the guy that, you know, pointing his head and always telling you to think on top. Yeah. It's like Tesla tells me that I can't buy uh, a Tesla with Bitcoin, but I'll just go buy it in El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that a country is like actually willing to make Bitcoin legal tender. That That is a huge step. But I think people underestimate the fact that El Salvador is a really small country that doesn't really have a world changing effect. Right. But if a major company, company, country <laughs> jumps on board at some point, maybe Argentina, something like that, maybe Brazil. So I don't know, some someone radical, you know, that that would make much bigger splash in a pond. that's pretty big. Oh, yeah. I, I think that news would kickstart the bull market again here. Yeah, a lot of a lot of potential black swan events that could move the market either way. Um, anyways, we've been talking for a little bit, quite quite a while on this stuff, but um, I did have a couple more questions. One on yeah. Puerto Rico, since you since you live there, um, you know, I, I get a lot of mixed opinions. But is it is it turning into a tech hub at all, or is it just a bunch of people trying to escape capital gains tax? uh or what is it what's it feel like what's the vibe yeah i mean so i honestly probably can't answer the question very well i think a lot of the the tech hub vibe would be towards san juan uh so i'm actually living like out on the west coast not to like dox myself completely but <laughs> i mean it's, it's not that big of a place <laughs> yeah i know right uh I'm I'm actually out on like the West Coast, more towards the the beaches and stuff. So I'm pretty far away from uh, where a lot of the the cryptocurrency and, and tech guys are. Uh, I do think it will become a little bit of a tech hub. You know, like Brock Pierce is here. I know he's investing uh, a lot of money. Some of the early Ethereum guys are here investing a lot of money. Um, I think Brock Pierce like bought a church or something like that. And he's trying to like turn it into a, a crypto, crypto church. <laughs> yeah. The crypto church, man. I, I haven't, I remember there was articles on it, like back in 2019, I think. Uh, so I don't know what he's done with it since then, but I'm, I'm hoping to see some, some cool events. And I mean, the, the, the Bitcoin maximalists need a place to go, right? Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I don't know if you were in Miami at all, but that was uh, that was something else, man. No, I, I wasn't. But there's there's enough on social media. I got the gist. I, exactly. I don't feel like I had to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could feel a little desperation in the air. It was kind of kind of strange, but you know, I feel well, like I heard they got a big turnout though. They did. Yeah, yeah. There was a ton of people there. I think there was twenty thousand people in you know, estimated in Miami in total from crypto there. Uh, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. were just going to the side events and learning about NFTs and, and Ethereum mm-hmm. and, and things like that. I was like most bullish on NFTs coming out of there than I was Bitcoin. Like the NFT space is, is getting pretty cool. Yeah, you know, NFTs have been around for a while. It's funny how long it takes for something to really gain traction. Um, but no, NFTs are cool because there's there's so many applications for it, and it's such a simple idea that solves so many problems. Yeah. Um, you know, everything from you know um, being able to tokenize a real world asset to validating something digital as an asset. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a very unique you know circumstance, and it goes beyond just creating tokens and everyone doing ICOs and stuff like that. It's It it feels a little bit more legitimate. And I think that's why people poured so much money into it. Yep. 
Yep, exactly. And I, I always like to bring it back to secret network, but <laughs> that's, that's like where yeah. my mind goes. And it's like, okay, y- you just mentioned, uh, you know, digitizing real world assets and things like that, right? If we're talking about like titles, titles to houses and property and like, um, you know, a lot of like deeds and titles to cars and all these things, like, are people really going to want to do all that stuff with no privacy at all? Mm-hmm. I still, I still can't imagine that. Like, can you imagine a bank that has, you know, all of these, these loans on houses and everything that are all NFT to make that public to the entire world? I just have huge doubts about that. And then mm-hmm. uh, you were mentioning like rights to, to real world products. Um, another thing that I'm seeing right now, which I, um, I can't completely wrap my head around how people aren't thinking about this is, um, these artists that are like doing digital music and they're trying to make NFTs out of their songs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them right now, there's no, there's no access control built into that. So if I'm an artist and I put my song as an NFT, the NFT, the person that buys that, it's pretty much just a link that they can share with anyone, right? Like, but and, but that link could be anything. You could put anything as unlockable content. Right, right. Well, I guess that's that's my point, though. Is like with this mm-hmm. idea of unlockable content, you're not really protecting. It's not being protected in any way right now, and that's a big thing we're we're focusing on at Secret Network is this unlockable mm-hmm. content. Um, and we use things called viewing keys mm-hmm. to where only the person with the viewing key can decrypt the contents in, of the NFT mm-hmm. or, or whatever it may be. So if it was a song, you can only listen to the song if you hold the viewing key for that song, right? Yeah. Um, but, but like on Ethereum, it's all public. So if I buy this NFT, there's nothing for stopping me from sharing it with you know, 50 of exactly. my friends, kind of like pirating music back in the day. Um, exactly. So it's like, it's like another immature space that I think people are eventually going to go, oh, wait, if you include privacy, if you include encryption, and then you have viewing keys for these things, there's actually like more use cases that are unlocked. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I get asked those questions a lot all the time. And I'm like, you could probably still do it, but yeah, you, if you had like a viewing key or something like that, and then, you know, you protect the artist a little more, especially if it's like a music artist or something like that. Whereas, you know, you, let's say you launch a new hit single or a new album full of songs inside an NFT and you auction it off or whatever, and you, you keep your royalty or I don't know, maybe some contractual agreement in inside it as well. Um, you know, all, once once they buy the nft and have access to the music they could do whatever they want with it right so there's there is that question of is there some type of viewer key you can create which forces people to you know pay you know to have access to that music or to not redistribute it there's a way around it and maybe you guys do have that solution maybe you guys will be where people go in the future because it's a problem it's there's a huge solution for for artists, especially music artists, but you know that that's still a problem that you know someone's got to solve. Yeah, no, that's that's like 
you know, we mentioned DeFi and, and you were talking about how crowded of a space it is and, uh, you know, attract the, the issues with attracting liquidity. We definitely see DeFi as that was kind of the first mm-hmm. vertical we took. Um, but being a layer one protocol, it, it's a blessing and a curse in that it, it allows us to pursue any vertical that's out there in blockchain, really. Right. Uh, any, any vertical that could use privacy. So it's kind of like we have this exploratory DEX that's exploring private DeFi, but mm-hmm. private NFTs is where we're going to go next. And you haven't, you haven't seen us launch any products that, that uh, deal with private NFTs. But there's like super interesting use cases like music uh, with viewing keys. And, and like you said, I mean, you right. had a perfect understanding of it of like only the buyer has that viewing key to view that song. Uh, and it's, it's great for protecting the artist's work. Uh, you can do other things like um, private bidding. We have a lot of unique things that we can do with NFTs. And we're really hoping to show the world kind of like what the protocol can do for NFTs and, and do for that space. Yeah, well, it sounds like you guys are going to do something with NFTs the way you're talking. So do you guys have like a roadmap laid out for the secret network on some stuff you guys want to do that is public or you guys, you know, is this really a secret or <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think like there are a lot of secrets in terms of um, what the team based in Israel is, is going to build. Um, it, it's kind of weird because we're a layer one protocol. So, Oh, sorry. I'm getting a, Call there. Oh, we put him on the podcast. Give him it, the link. It funny. It was actually Dan who you had on the podcast. <laughs> oh, t- tell Dan. Dan, he's back on the show live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll just put him on. Hey, you're calling in. <laughs> um, yeah, but in terms of like a roadmap, it's really hard as a protocol layer to to um, have like that really defined roadmap at least public. It's really dependent on what developers in the ecosystem want to build on top of the ecosystem now. Um, gotcha. Use it, going back to the sandbox analogy, like the sandbox is built. We're here, we're waiting, and we're mainly focused on like recruiting developers now to try to build some of these uh, interesting use case MVPs or, you know, full-blown applications on top of the protocol. So... Uh, I know at least three teams right now are building stuff with secret NFTs, like NFT marketplaces. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to see something for uh, music artists at some point. I can almost guarantee that because that's a huge use case uh, that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um, secret ticketing. You can you can hide a lot of you can do a lot of things with like hiding messages and geolocations inside of NFTs too. So you could do like treasure hunts and, and cool, unique mm. things like that. Um, it, it's, it's mostly brainstorming and then recruiting the teams to, to build the things now rather than like a defined, okay, we want to go here. We want to go here. Mm. We've built, you know, a canvas and now it's time to create the artists or the developers to, to build whatever their hearts desire. Well, if there's a developer that's watching this right now or that does end up watching it and they want to build yeah. on Secret Network, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, 
check out the website, scrt.network. Uh, we're, we're kind of building that and still revising it, but there mm. should be information there on how to build. There's um, some educational like walkthroughs of how to build your first secret contract, uh, which walk you through, you know, what languages are used. We use Rust. Uh, there's a learn learn.figment.io, I think it is. Uh, one of the validators, Figment, if you've ever heard of them, has a I think really so. They sound familiar. Yeah, they have a really good like walkthrough for, for developers to learn how to build on the platform. Um, but, you know, the best way to do it is really just drop by the Discord at chat.scrt.network um, and just come talk straight to the community and straight to the developers and just say, Hey, I got this, you know, I got this crazy idea for this thing. Can it be built? How would I build it? Uh, we get so jazzed up about hearing ideas and just collaborating. And there's tons of resources available in the ecosystem. There's over $50 million available in developer grants uh, to teams that want to build on the network. So if you got an idea, drop mm -hmm. in, you know, discuss it with the team, discuss it with the community, get a grant and start building. Perfect. Yeah. Well, send me a bunch of links after this. I'll put them in the description for the episode too. So people can easily like go find some stuff and, um, you know, get themselves caught up and up to date on what you guys are doing. But, uh, Brendan, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to come on today, man. Really appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed learning about secret network. I think you guys are doing a lot of things that are important, especially in this space, you know, regarding, you know, privacy around NFTs, around DEXs, um, you know, I think it's something people take for granted a little bit, but they're going to really appreciate in the future. So, so yeah. yeah, thank you for expanding on that. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, I love the content. I like your style of interview and just letting the conversation flow. So I really appreciate your time, man.